A new anti-woke hero has surfaced for many on the anti-trans right. His name is Senator Matt McKee. He is a state senator in Arkansas. He did the heroic thing where he asked a trans pharmacist whether she has a penis. And this makes you a hero among much of the anti-trans right. Let me set this up for you uh, before we play the clip. And the clip is quite stunning. Arkansas has been on this warpath to do things that really aren't worth doing in order to virtue signal. Like, for example, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signing a law banning critical race theory being taught in public schools, which, of course, it's not being taught in public schools, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, Arkansas also is on this path to criminalize gender affirming care, medical care we're talking about. And this is part of the battle against trans people. And there was an almost surreal moment during which Republican state Senator Matt McKee asked a trans pharmacist, Gwendolyn Herzig, whether she has a penis. Now, the bill that was being discussed eventually passed on Monday morning with only uh, one Democrat at the meeting voting against it. This is Senate Bill 199 to open up doctors who provide gender affirming care to youth significant uh, uh, loopholes and additional malpractice liabilities and all sorts of different things uh, in order to make it more difficult to provide that care. And so a pharmacist named Wendelin Herzig, uh, who is a trans Arkansan, spoke against the bill, spoke against SB 199, shared her experience as a trans person and healthcare provider in the state of Arkansas. She did not receive much respect, but she was asked, do you have a penis? Take a listen to this. You said that you're a trans woman. I trans female. Yes, ma'am, sir. Do you have a penis? That's horrible. You're the one you're the one that brought that into the discussion. Yeah. Uh, really on the vanguard of political philosophy and medical treatment, as you can see here. Do you have a penis? I would turn it around on this guy and say, sir, I know you're a dick, but do you have a penis? Um, the obsession with other people's genitalia is really something. The anti trans people consider that heroic. They think that's a massive anti woke victory to really ask the questions that need asking. It's biology and truth or whatever it is, right? Globalist, internationalist. Yeah, you know the stuff. I hate to say it, folks. I really do. I would get out of Arkansas. And the reason I hate to say it is most people can't just easily move to another state. That It's just a reality, either for financial reasons because you're established in a certain state, your job's not mobile, your family's not mobile, everyone you know is in a particular place. So, you, you know, my instinct is always to say, work within the system and figure out how to improve things and lobby and all these different things. Arkansas is becoming so backwards. We've looked at the healthcare numbers near the bottom. We've looked at the crime numbers near the worst in the country. We've looked at the education numbers. We've looked at the infrastructure numbers. Arkansas is not a great place to be. And I'm sure Little Rock has beautiful cafes and you can get a great cappuccino and maybe even a bagel. But um, it it's really going in a bad direction now under the stewardship, if you can call it that, of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, wasting resources and money and time on meaningless things, the openly anti-trans attacks that are going on. I don't know at this point that it's the sort of thing where, listen, if you don't if if you don't have 
if you're in the position to say I can deal with a horrible place for 10 years because I want to make it better through activism, I'm with you. I'm with you. But for so many people at this point, it has become so disastrous in that state that it may be time to leave. And that's a really difficult thing to do in a lot of different ways. But it has gotten disastrously bad in Arkansas. Do you have a penis? The latest in the battle lines against the wokesters or whatever it is they call it. They see this as a victory. We see it as humiliating. Um, A lying Republican now says that when you call out her lies, you're being anti-Hispanic. This is exactly the nonsense that the right accuses the left of doing. I will remind you that there is this new Republican congresswoman, Anna Paulina Luna. She lied about being Jewish. We talked about it yesterday. She's not actually Jewish. She has since been called out for her lies. She says to Charlie Kirk during an appearance yesterday that when her lies are called out, it is anti Hispanic. That's an interesting perspective. Let's listen. And to say that I would make something like that up, why would they say that? It's because they don't want young Hispanics to be reputable. And if you look at the slant of the entire article, they say that I'm not Hispanic enough, even though they cite where my grandparents immigrated from. But you know, a lot of what they do, it's character assassination. And right. if you don't have the spine for it, you can fold. But I think that we launched a full front frontal assault and we'll look forward to more retraction soon. Yeah. Um, despite the claims of Republicans, it is actually Republicans who regularly play the victim card. This is another example of accusations or confessions. This is another example of projection. This is another example of the right developing a narrative about the left that applies more to them than it does to the left. Republicans often claim that the left always are victims. We're victims of racism, say the leftists. We're victims of xenophobia. We're victims of sexism. The left just they want to be victims. But when you actually look, you see that Republicans have been playing the victims for a long time now. The war on Christmas, the Christians were being victimized. The war on religion, the claims aren't backed by evidence. They use them to rally their base. They use them to raise money. They use them to purport to be the victims of some liberal agenda. Oh, if you're straight, you're now being attacked just for being straight. Another example, they say we're victims of election fraud. There's no evidence to support that. And in fact, when individual perpetrators of so-called election fraud are found, they are almost always Republicans, either trying to test the system or simply trying to vote multiple times. They say the left does it. They're the they're the ones getting caught doing it. Okay, they said an entire election was stolen from them. Trump's new thing. Oh, no, nobody's been treated more unfairly than my family. All my friends. Do you have friends, sir? All my friends tell me nobody's been treated as unfairly as you have. But the left, they're the ones who play the victim. And then, of course, they often claim to be the victims of discrimination or sometimes they like to use the term reverse discrimination or reverse racism or whatever the case may be. And yet, when you actually look at studies, you find that it is people of color, communities of color, marginalized groups who are more likely to actually be discriminated against. And so by claiming to be the victims of discrimination, they they deny the experiences of people who are actually the victims of discrimination. They distract from real issues. And of course, 
they become that which they criticize the left for being. And this is yet another example. They're going after me for being Hispanic. No, they're going after you for being a liar. That's what this is at the end of the day. And so I don't really know the best strategy for the left on this, because if you're on the left and you identify an injustice, you've gone woke, you're playing the victim card, whatever. But then when they do it themselves and we call it out because the right doesn't care about hypocrisy anymore, if they ever did, and because the right has abandoned policy, their voters don't actually care. They fall for. Yeah, they're going after Anna Paulina Luna because she's a proud conservative Hispanic woman. No, they're going after her because she's a liar and she deserves it. Quite simply, Marjorie Taylor Greene used the death count from the hijacked 9-11 Flight 93 to minimize the risk of shooting down the Chinese spy balloon over land. And the crowd goes completely silent. You have to see this. This is stunning, stunning stuff. Marjorie Taylor Greene and a bunch of right wingers initially went after Joe Biden by saying he's not going to have the testicular fortitude. That's my word, not theirs to shoot down the Chinese surveillance balloon. As we know, Joe Biden eventually shot down the Chinese surveillance balloon. And so Republicans had to shift their tone shift their message. Some of them shifted to who cares? Any president would have done it. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is shifting to he didn't need to wait for the balloon to go over water before shooting it down. That was a sissy move. He should have shot it down over land. And as proof as to how benign that is, think back to 9-11. Remember when there was that crash? I mean, even describing it as a crash when there was that crash, Nobody. I mean, yes, everybody on the plane died, but nobody on the ground died. It is so quiet as Marjorie Taylor Greene says these disgusting things in this room. The crowd was all jazzed up up until this point. It goes so quiet that if somebody dropped a pin, you would be able to hear it. Take a look at this. Finally leaves the coast and then, oh, they shot it down. The excuses that were given on this were pathetic, absolutely pathetic. They told us it was too risky. Oh, it was too risky to shoot down the Chinese spy balloon. Do you know what a bunch of bullshit that is? Yeah. They said it's three school buses. Three school buses wide. Okay. Well, do you guys remember on 9-11 when an airplane crashed in Pennsylvania? A jetliner. Remember that? Oof. It didn't kill anybody on the ground. Killed everyone on board, but it didn't kill. Silence. Instantly silence. But anyone on the ground. So they want to tell all of us that it was too risky to take down that Chinese spy balloon over rural Idaho or Montana or any of these other states or Alaska. Anyway, quite a bold analogy to be making. But in the service of attacking any decision made by Joe Biden, anything is fair game for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, a disgusting person. Usually I say a disgusting woman and someone wrote to me and said, David, sir, might you be a misogynist? Because if a man does something disgusting, you say what a disgusting person. But when Marjorie Taylor Greene does something disgusting, you say what a disgusting woman. I don't know. Should I say disgusting person? She's definitely both. As far as we all know, she's a woman uh, in the in the in the valiant battle 
against trans wokists. Marjorie Taylor Greene has drawn that line in the sand. She is a woman. Should I say she's a disgusting person or a disgusting woman? Let me know. But disgusting certainly fits the bill. Absolutely no tragedy she is unwilling to use to her perceived advantage. We will have all of these clips on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the David Pakman show. And we will also have these clips in Spanish now on the Spanish YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at symbol David Pakman Espanol. I know you're it's like, isn't it Espanol? But you can't in a URL have the thing over the end. So it's David Pakman Espanol for the Spanish channel. It's crazy, I know, but check it out. I like wine, but I know very little about it. And I am completely clueless when I go to a wine shop. I just don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what I'm looking at. I couldn't tell you anything about varietals or if there's hints of persimmon or any of it. And so if you're like me wishing you had a seasoned expert by your side when you're choosing wine, crunchy red fruit is the answer. Crunchy Red Fruit delivers choice, handcrafted, small production wines right to your door. Every bottle is handpicked by owner and master sommelier Jackson Rohrbaugh in Seattle and comes with food pairing suggestions. We've been chatting with Jackson. His curating puts an emphasis on organic, low intervention wines, wines without artificial yeasts or chemicals. Crunchy Red Fruit sources from small scale, sustainable vineyards, and only wines that are true to their location and grape. Crunchy Red Fruits bi-monthly wine club is called The Circle. Every two months, you'll get three or six bottles to enjoy with videos to help you appreciate what you're drinking. Go to crunchyredfruit.com. Use the code PACMAN for $20 off a single purchase. Or if you join their bi-monthly wine club, send a message to circle at crunchyredfruit.com after you sign up. And they'll take $20 off your first shipment. That's crunchyredfruit.com. Use code PACMAN for $20 off a single purchase or sign up for their bi monthly club and email circle at crunchyredfruit.com for $20 off. The info is in the podcast notes. Did you know that half of Americans are deficient in vitamin A, vitamin C and magnesium? Most Americans are deficient in vitamin D. I take vitamin D during the winter. It is sometimes difficult to eat exactly the right amount of each food to get exactly what you need. I just make my life simpler with AG1 by Athletic Greens in the morning. One scoop of AG1. I get the entire day's worth of 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients. It's what I want. It's no more. It's no less. It's not making any outlandish claims. It's just an easy, sustainable routine. I've tried different ways of taking vitamins. AG1 is cheaper. It's quicker. It's tastier. I'm not fumbling around with different capsules. It tastes great to drink straight with water. Sometimes I'll put it in a smoothie or shake. It's simple. It's something easy you can do going into the new year, staying properly nourished. Athletic Greens is giving my audience a free year supply of vitamin D. I take that every day in winter. Plus, you'll get five free travel packs of AG1. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes.
I invite you to become a supporter of The David Pakman Show by signing up at joinpacman.com. It's cheap, it's quick, it's easy, and it really is the number one funding source for our program and also your memberships now funding the Spanish dubbed YouTube channel. We got our first Spanish hate mail just hours after the channel went live. Uh, you can I posted actually to my Twitter. Um, the Spanish hate mail we got calling me a communist and telling me I have bad blood and all these different things. So uh, it's going swimmingly, I would say, uh, already making an impact. But in all seriousness, the uh, membership program does support all of the work we do. You can sign up at joinpacman.com, read about the great member benefits, including the world famous award winning bonus show. We give the awards, but still, it's like we, we did win some awards for the bonus show. You can use the coupon code 24 starts now to get a discount. And boy, does 24 start now. Trump has a challenger, Nikki Haley, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's follow up first about the UFOs. The United States has now officially said we do not believe that the recent surveillance balloons slash devices tentatively believed to be from China are evidence of intelligent aliens from another planet, solar system or galaxy even visiting us on Earth. Uh, Joe Biden's press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, making that statement during a press briefing yesterday. We addressed this from the White House. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity. It's funny because the press corps laughs. But just look online. There are endless gobs of people convinced that this is a cover up of extraterrestrial encounters with these recent takedowns. Wanted to make sure that the American people knew that all of you knew that. Uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we sure, Kareen, that's just what you would say if you wanted to cover it up. Hearing a lot about it. Um, I, I, I'm not. I, I'm just, you know, I loved E.T., the movie, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. All right. Then National Security Council's John Kirby also reiterated this and said, this is, these are not aliens. It's not aliens, folks. Uh, the top officials of the Pentagon, when asked explicitly if uh, they were ruling out any kind of extraterrestrial presence, said they weren't ruling anything out. And yet at the beginning of today's briefing, albeit with her usual winning smile, uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre <laughs> seemed to rule out any extraterrestrial activity. I don't um, think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft, period. I don't think there's any now. You heard what he said, right? I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft. And there are those who believe that Kirby is very narrowly answering this question and saying these are not extraterrestrial aliens, but that doesn't mean that there aren't others. Now, let's talk a little bit about aliens. This is this is a, a very interesting topic. I want to expand on what I said during my recent appearance with Anthony Pompliano when I was down in Florida. One of the appearances I did was with Anthony Pompliano and he asked me about aliens. It is really important to understand the sheer vastness of the universe. You've got our galaxy, the Milky Way, hundreds of billions of stars, and then all of the accompanying planets and so on and so forth. So I do have a very general view that based on what we know about the vastness of the universe, statistically, 
I think the likelihood of extraterrestrial life of some kind could be bacterial, could be intelligence. I don't know. I think the odds are high. The probability of that intelligent life having already visited Earth, I believe, is extraordinarily low. And, and the sort of math of it is as follows. You look at the number of stars in the universe. It's astronomical, 100 billion in our you know, own Milky Way alone. With that number of stars, it is likely that at least some planets would be capable of supporting life. So the conditions, at least theoretically for life, are probably not that rare. If you look at all of the planets that there are, you then say, OK, well, on some fraction of those that could support life, it doesn't seem super unlikely, even if it's a small percentage, that life would develop. And so I do think that when you consider all of that and the age of the universe, 13.8 billion years old, that's a lot of time for life to have evolved on other planets as well. So I think it is likely, given the laws of physics and chemistry, which appear to be universal and all these different things, it's likely that there is life on other planets. Do I think it has reached Earth? in the form of a balloon or a cylinder or, you know, humanoid uh, four foot tall aliens with obsessed with anal probes. Uh, It must be proctology must be big on other planets. I don't know that I don't have any evidence for. And then when you look at, you know, the the numerous so-called UFO sightings over the years, we have a lack of concrete evidence. We see that the stories that are told match the images of supposed aliens from movies and from popular culture and Many are specifically debunked as aircraft or weather balloon or birds or whatever. So, you know, there's that there's the lack of physical evidence and all of these different things. So really funny coda to this, which is Mark Esper, Trump's former uh, secretary of defense, who says, you know, if aliens were to come here, I don't think this is exactly what they would do. Careful. I'm confident in saying that I doubt that the aliens would travel across the universe and all of a sudden decide to conduct surveillance over Lake Huron in a balloon moving 20 miles per hour. That's a plan that I think we're in good shape. And we now know we can shoot them down. But I, I don't think that's true at all. Look, I, I, my hunch is that, that these are weather balloons or scientific experiments put aloft by another country, another com- a company or some nonprofit. We'll learn that in due course. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I he, it makes sense. Esper is not a guy that I found uh, super interesting as an elected official or whatever. But I, I do think this is a good point. And it's similar to you know, if if the aliens really were making contact, I don't know that their priority would necessarily be a, uh, anal probes. And so it's sort of weird that that's a big part of a lot of the stories that are told. I think Esper is right, but maybe that's just what the aliens want us to think. It's not us because we would never just go 20 miles an hour over one of the Great Lakes. Let me know what you think. I agree with Karine Jean-Pierre and Kirby and Esper. I do not believe this is evidence of alien contact. Really good piece um, in The Guardian by our friend and former guest on this program, Jason Stanley, about the so-called culture war that seeks to ban ideas and ban books and remove entire subject matter from an advanced placement black history course in Florida and say these books shouldn't be here, those books shouldn't be there. And Jason very eloquently explains in this article titled Banning Ideas and Authors is Not a Culture War, It's Fascism, a lot of the 
important elements of this, and he says it much more eloquently than I could. So I encourage you to read the article, which we're going to link to in the description to the YouTube video for this story. But I want to build on this in some way and tell you some of the ways in which this sort of ideology has gone very poorly in the past and agree with Jason that we really can't when we say this is part of the culture war, some people want to ban books and some don't. This is part of the culture war. Some people want to remove the teaching of certain um, uh, lessons from school curricula and some want to keep it's just a culture war, it's just a disagreement. It is critical that we see it as a form of fascism. And when you look at history, when you look at regimes that have tried or did ban or burn books, silence dissenting voices, it has frequently ended in tragedy or led to absolutely horrible circumstances. You have to look at Nazi Germany. The burning of books was a tactic used to suppress opposition and impose, I guess we would call it like ideological conformity. You will conform. The Nazis knew books could be powerful tools for challenging their world worldview. So they set out to destroy those books and materials that didn't fit with their narrative. The Soviet Union, where the government maintained really strict control over what people could read and write, dissenting voices were silenced. Anyone who spoke out could be labeled a traitor or punished extraordinarily severely. In the United States, we've seen attempts to ban books. We've seen attempts to censor ideas throughout history. You go to the McCarthy era. We have these more recent attempts around critical race theory. The efforts are always about maintaining power, controlling the narrative and suppressing dissenting ideas and voices. Now, this is a really important uh, distinction when we talk about Orwellian versus Huxleyan. Okay. Often things are called Orwellian in modern society when really modern American culture is more Huxleyan. This book banning is actually more Orwellian. So let me explain this a little bit. And if this is interesting to you, it's been widely written about and explored. When we talk about Huxleyan, we're talking about Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World. We're talking about a society that is kind of kept passive and under control, not through force and oppression and the, and the banning of books, but through pleasure and distraction and entertainment. And that is mostly what we have. When we look, I mean, Fox News is the perfect example of Huxleyan. Fox News mixes opinion and news, so you can't tell which it is. They, it's the firehood, uh, uh, fire hose of falsehood. There's just tons of stuff being pumped out, so you don't even know what's real and what's not. Fox News and right wing media match real news reporting with disinformation to the point where the average person sometimes is unclear which is the news and which is the made up stuff. And it encourages people to be apathetic, to be superficial in their understanding of what's going on in the world and to value entertainment. If the news doesn't entertain me, then I'm probably not watching. That's not Orwellian. Most of what we have in modern American culture is actually Huxleyan. It's you don't need to do the Orwellian stuff because people are just going to pay attention to what's entertaining. They can't really tell the difference. They're apathetic anyway. Okay. When we talk about the book banning, we are actually talking about something that is more Orwellian, where society is controlled through oppression and surveillance and control. And in a Huxleyan society, 
information and ideas are controlled and manipulated through culture and entertainment. And you can push ideas out or replace them with things that are more titillating or whatever the case may be. The book banning efforts are much more Orwellian because they are a direct attempt to suppress ideas and information. It's using government censorship. In the case of Florida, it's the idea of the state government wanting to change or control what is in the curriculum for that black history course. Oftentimes it's uh, powerful interest groups that are controlling or whatever the case may be. It's a much more direct form of control Orwellian. Most of American society is Huxleyan. The book banning efforts should be seen as forms of fascism, and they actually are Orwellian. Um, we'll have more about this discussion on our Instagram, so make sure you are following us there. You can search David Pakman show on Instagram. One of our sponsors is Helix Sleep. I have been sleeping on a Helix mattress at home for years now. I couldn't be more happy with it. I recommend it to everybody. The other day, even though she's not allowed in the big bed, I put my baby daughter on the mattress and even she loved it. Helix Sleep is the premium mattress brand offering tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. Take the Helix Sleep quiz. It asks you about your body type, your sleeping position. Do you get hot at night? Do you have back pain? And then Helix will match you with the mattress that's perfect for you. Most people don't know where to begin when shopping for a mattress, including me. Helix makes it simple and less risky because you know you're getting a mattress that fits your needs. It ships free. You can try it for 100 nights to see if you like it. And it comes with a 10 or 15 year warranty. Unlike many mattress companies, all Helix mattresses are made in the USA by a skilled production team. So you are supporting good jobs. Helix Sleep is giving my audience up to 20% off plus two free pillows. What other mattress company is going to give you 20% off? Go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com slash Pacman for up to 20% off and two free pillows. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Fume. Fume is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from the bad habits that consume far too many of us, including ones that harm our health. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to trade out your negative habit for a positive one. Fume is not a vape. It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape. Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. Fume's new version two model is snappy and tactile with an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap that's fun to fidget with. It's Fume's goal to make switching easy or even enjoyable. They have thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you who have successfully switched when other solutions didn't work. Head to tryfume.com and use the code PACMAN to get 10% off today when you get the Journey Pack, which comes with three unique flavors and the new version to Fume. That's T-R-Y-F-U-M.com. Code PACMAN saves you 10% on the Journey Pack. The info is in the podcast notes.
Well, Donald Trump has his first serious challenger, I guess, serious in the 2024 Republican primary. That challenger is former South Carolina governor and Trump's own former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was expected to announce uh, any day. Eventually, it became clear that she was going to announce on February 14th, which is, of course, what is it? Is it like National Tea Day or something? Valentine's Day. Nikki Haley announcing she is indeed running for president, releasing a three minute video, which I have to tell you, I don't really understand the case she's making for her own candidacy, highlighting elements of her biography, but appearing to say I'm more or less like Trump, but younger. See if you can figure out what is the case she's making here. And then we're going to talk about the outlook. We've got new polling and we'll tell you where Nikki Haley is. It's all getting very interesting. Take a look at this. The railroad tracks divided the town by race. I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. Okay, so playing up racial diversity, starting off with that. Not black, not white. I was different. It's enlightened centrism. She wasn't black or white. She was Indian. That's an interesting approach. But my mom would always say your job is not to focus on the differences, Ah. but the similarities. And my parents reminded me and my siblings every day how blessed we were to live in America. Some look at our past as evidence that America's founding principles are bad. They say the promise of freedom is just made up. Some think our ideas are not just wrong, but racist and evil. Nothing could be further from the truth. I have seen evil. In China, they commit genocide. In Iran, they murder their own people for challenging the government. And when a woman tells you about watching soldiers throw her baby into a fire, it puts things in perspective. Even on our worst day, we are blessed to live in America. I was born and raised in South Carolina, so I have seen the very best of our country. People here threw out the old, tired political establishment and demanded accountability for their tax dollars. Industry reports called us the beast of the Southeast, which I love. People came by the thousands for fresh starts. Moms and dads held their heads up high. Children learned that it was always a great day in South Carolina. It's a great day. It's a great day. A great day. A great day in South Carolina. We were strong. We were proud. And when evil did come. Police in South Carolina are looking for a gunman following a shooting at a church. Yeah, when when evil came, they did nothing about gun safety. Victims, we don't know the uh, severity. We turned away from fear toward God. Right. Values that still That's true. They did nothing about the guns and they said we need prayer. Make our country the freest and greatest in the world. We must turn in that direction again. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That has to change. Yeah, well, maybe better candidates and better policies would help. Joe Biden's record is abysmal, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. The Washington establishment has failed us over and over and over again. It's time for a new generation of leadership. 
Yeah. So it seems to be basically she's Trump, but a new generation, meaning younger. To rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border and strengthen our country, our pride mm. and our purpose. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite his. <laughs> By the way, the socialists on the screen are Nancy Pelosi, who <laughs> known for stock trading, uh, Joe Biden, a center left Democrat, Kamala Harris, very much not a socialist and Bernie who, while describing himself as a democratic socialist, actually really runs as a social democrat. The this is the best they can do when it comes to socialists. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley and I'm running for president. Wow. Yeah. So Nikki Haley is running her for president. If I understand correctly, it is the standard, completely generic, boring, old right wing talking points combined with she's younger and she's Indian. I mean, that, that's quite frankly, that's my understanding of what she's uh, saying here. Now, it will be interesting to see Trump's reaction. As of this moment, Trump has not um, uh, responded to her uh, challenge of Trump's uh, Republican primary and looking on truth social here. Truth central. I don't see that Donald Trump has posted anything. So we'll see the direction that this goes. There is a new morning consult poll out from this week. It has uh, Nikki Haley polling 3%. Of course, this poll was taken before she announced her candidacy. We'll see if maybe she could get to 4% or 5% based on this announcement right now. That tracker has Trump at 47, DeSantis at 31, Pence at seven and Nikki Haley tied for a heavily contested fourth place with both Liz Cheney and Ted Cruz. So very, very exciting numbers uh, for now for Nikki Haley. The primary is truly starting earlier than ever. I mean, it is February. We already have multiple candidates, by the way, February, not of 24, but of 2023. One of the practical questions that comes up is do these candidates even really start campaigning yet? Donald Trump really hasn't other than that one very low energy event, by the way, in South Carolina and putting out some really strange policy proposals that are not really policy. They're kind of more just complaints. Um, We'll see if Nikki Haley starts campaigning regularly. This is, you know, if we think of July of next year or even August, uh, probably July um, as as the end of the primary, We are talking here about a 17 to 18 month stretch of primary. We already have two candidates. It seems implausible that they're just going to be aggressively campaigning starting now. But maybe the fact that it's not just Trump running anymore is going to force some of that to get going. So Nikki Haley, if you wanted, if you're on the Republican side and you don't like Trump, you now have someone who is actually running, actually running, losing very badly to Ron DeSantis, who hasn't even announced but it is it is at least an official candidate. Let me know whether you think Haley will make any sort of impact here. Uh, Donald Trump is also now reacting not yet to Nikki Haley saying she's running, um, but reacting to Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis 
doing better than Trump in some recent polls and Trump throwing an absolute and complete tantrum on his platform. Truth social truth central Donald Trump reacting to a report that he's obsessed with DeSantis and spends time trying to come up with nicknames for DeSantis, including allegedly Meatball Ron. I think that's because of DeSantis's physical appearance, although I'm not totally sure. Donald Trump posting some triggered messages to Truth Central, starting with, quote, all of the fake news is reporting that I spend large amounts of my time coming up with a good nickname for Ron DeSanctimonious, who is obviously going to give the presidential thing a shot. They are all 100 percent wrong. I don't even think about it. A very unimportant subject to me. This is the evidence that Trump is obsessed with Ron DeSantis. Trump saying I never think about Ron DeSantis or his nicknames to me means he thinks about Ron DeSantis absolutely all the time. And then weighing in about the polling, some of which really has Trump doing very poorly compared to Ron DeSantis. Trump saying, quote, doing great in poll numbers, leading all Republicans by a lot, also leading Biden by a very wide margin, which means that our weaponized injustice department, local DAs and attorney generals. Oh, come on. It's attorneys general attorney generals. Trump writes will step up their illegal and unprecedented attacks in order to disparage me with false bull and statements in the hope that I will be damaged enough to allow a rhino or Biden to, quote, slip through the cracks. But be careful. The American people get it and don't like what they are seeing. MAGA. So this is a very interesting time for Trump. He knows that DeSantis's numbers are very good for a guy who hasn't announced anything, but if he spends his time attacking a guy who isn't even running, it looks very weak. Trump wants to be alpha and his followers believe him to be alpha to some degree, as, as funny as that is. But Trump must realize if he does spend a lot of time going after a guy who isn't even actually running against Trump, it is kind of pathetic. It is weakening. It is disgusting and kind of kind of, kind of lame in a way. So he's going to have to figure out what to do. Just as interestingly is that if DeSantis is going to run against Trump, DeSantis has to figure out when and how to attack Donald Trump. And I want to talk about that next. This is fascinating. Last week, when Ron DeSantis responded to Trump's attack on him by saying, I don't spend my time attacking other Republicans, DeSantis took the high road, as we discussed. I told you this isn't going to work for DeSantis. And I've expressed concerns previously that in a national campaign, DeSantis, who lacks all charisma, I mean, just completely uncharismatic. I don't know how DeSantis faces off against Trump and the nicknames and the attacks in a national campaign. I'm not the only one saying this. This is really interesting. There's a New York Times article published uh, two days ago called DeSantis's challenge when and how to counterattack Trump. The article is by Michael Bender and Maggie Haberman. And in this article, they actually address this issue. He's trying to take the high road, but that is not likely to work. And there's a paragraph that says some deep pocketed Republican donors have privately expressed concern about how DeSantis will perform when forced to directly engage with an opponent 
as combative and unbothered by traditional rules of decorum as Mr. Trump. Liam Donovan, a Republican strategist, said no Republican has ever emerged from an exchange with Donald Trump looking stronger. So the natural tendency is to deflect attacks and avoid confrontation. That's easy to do, maybe wise when Trump's barbs are confined to truth social. The question is, what happens when DeSantis finds himself on a debate stage opposite Trump? And Republicans vote. Republican voters want to see whether they are getting what they were promised. I think this article is exactly right. And I think that the Republicans who are bringing this up are 100 percent justified in being uh, concerned with this. And the article mentions all of these uh, you, you know, different um, attacks that Trump launched against challengers in 2016, insinuating that Ted Cruz's father was linked to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, calling Ben Carson pathological, making fun of the appearance of Ted Cruz's wife and of Rand Paul and so on and so forth. This is exactly right. And so while I believe that, at least in theory right now, Ron DeSantis is well positioned for a run against Trump if he announces and if he takes the campaign seriously and he'll he has a shot, there's no doubt. But if they emerge as the front runners, Trump and DeSantis, and if they end up on stage against each other, and DeSantis does this high road stuff while Trump brutally attacks DeSantis, and he will, it doesn't look good for DeSantis. I don't actually believe that Republican voters are going to be swayed by a guy who takes the high road. I think they want to see who here brings the sort of like, you know, what they what they wrongly believe to be alpha energy and whatever else. And uh, I don't think DeSantis taking the high road will work. And DeSantis does need to figure out how do I attack Trump? When do I attack Trump? or the chance that he has at this thing is going to very quickly evaporate. Let me know your thoughts. What should DeSantis's approach be? Um, And uh, we will certainly have time to discuss this further. Trump has started to go after DeSantis in casual conversations, they say, describing him as all sorts of different strange things based on his physical appearance. So Trump seems to be winding it up. And even though Trump says he's not thinking about it, all of the indications are that he is Trump's going to be ready. This is, you know, Trump's not going to be ready with that health care plan that we were going to get in August of 2020. I, I'm not holding my breath waiting for that health care plan. Trump is going to be ready for how to attack Ron DeSantis and DeSantis has to figure out what to do. Email services by big tech companies scan every single email you send and receive emails from your doctor, your spouse. That's why you get those creepy ads a few minutes later. And other companies collect your data every time you open an email from them. It's a huge mess. All of this information gets sold around. They can piece together where you've been, who you know, what you like, and it's out there forever. That's why I recommend start mail. Start mail never collects data from your emails. It blocks the trackers embedded in the emails that you receive. Start mail lets you encrypt any email you send, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption, keeping your messages safe from prying eyes. Start mail never shows you ads. And unlike other services, when you delete an email, it's gone forever. And I love this part. You can create unlimited email aliases so you don't have to give companies your real email address, which can really cut down on spam. You can seamlessly migrate your emails and contacts from Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo and others. It's really easy. Start taking your privacy seriously by signing up for Startmail. 
you'll get 50% off your first year subscription. Go to startmail.com slash Pacman. That's S-T-A-R-T-M-A-I-L dot com slash Pacman for 50% off. The link is in the podcast notes. We are seeing an increasingly isolated and desperate failed former President Donald Trump descend into a new form of madness. We heard in an interview yesterday with his official spokesperson, Liz Harrington, that at this point, Donald Trump believes all of his phones are, quote, tapped and he is operating as if that is the case. We are going to look at this clip and understand that it sort of starts. I didn't cut this clip. It starts in this way. But what Liz Harrington is talking about is he just believes that all of the phones are tapped. Let's listen to it uh, and then discuss. He's probably had every phone call ever, and he just assumes so, right? He assumes that's the case, that people are listening in. But this man has been spied on, he's been looked at, and they have nothing. They've never had anything because he is so clean. I mean, he's not. That's why they had such a problem with him. And that's why they still to this day have such a problem with him, because they're used to being able to have some sort of leverage over everybody in Washington. It doesn't matter who they are. There's going to be something. They'll find it. They'll use it against you. They can't do that against President Donald J. Trump. That's why they have to make it up. Right. However, even though there's nothing, judges signed off on search warrants, grand juries have been impaneled, multiple criminal investigations, but they have less on Trump than on any other president. He's an open book. And that's what they, they must be so frustrated because I was reading this this sham New York Times article, right, about Jack Smith, the war prosecutor, right? They try to make it so nefarious, like, oh, this is the type of guy they need to come after President Trump. And he's hired the same, like, cast of characters who've gone after Roger Stone, who've gone after Steve Bannon, these left-wing hacks. They must be so frustrated because they've spent their lives on this, and yet they still have really nothing. Yeah. They, they really have nothing. Can anybody prove all of Trump's phones aren't tapped? Now, l- let's talk about this in parts. If Trump's phones are tapped, so that the, the first thing is, let's imagine that that's true. Let's imagine Trump assumes correctly that the phones are tapped, even though there's no actually there's no actual evidence to suggest that that we're aware of. If your phones are tapped, you should be really worried because you can't just tap people's phones willy nilly. Law enforcement agencies need to get a warrant to tap someone's phone by presenting evidence of probable cause to a judge. And that involves filing a written application with the court, justifying the reasons for why you want to do the phone surveillance. And if the judge determines that the evidence justifies a wiretap, they will issue a court order authorizing a wiretap. So the idea of Trump as squeaky clean, but they've tapped everything really doesn't make sense because there's at least uh, the existence of probable cause that you're not squeaky clean if your phone is getting tapped at all. Going further, the idea of Trump as squeaky clean in general is silly. Multiple criminal investigations, grand juries, subpoenas, multiple um, uh, impeachments going all the way back to the Mueller probe that was not able to clear Donald Trump of obstruction on and on and on and on and on. But the most interesting part of this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. 
The right is obsessed with saying the left is all about saying that they are victims, making themselves into victims, false claims of victimhood and on and on and on. And yet all the right can do increasingly is say that they are the victims. And look at all of the things that Donald Trump has claimed to be the victim of, including through his spokesperson, Liz Harrington, a victim of the uh, Russia hoax, a victim of impeachment number one, a victim of impeachment number two, a victim of um, judges that won't let him just do whatever the hell he wants when it comes to policy, treated unfairly when it came to adjudicating the 2020 election. It was stolen from him. He was victimized there. He was re-victimized by 63 court decisions found uh, against him because those were also politically biased. His family has been victimized, even though the reason this family is being made fun of is Don and Eric particularly are just pathetic jokes in terms of the public statements that they but he's the greatest victim. They know no bottom to this and it's going to continue being a theme in the 2024 campaign. And if he ends up dropping out before the primaries, which is increasingly a topic of of discussion, it will be because he's the victim of something. It's not going to be, hey, you know what? The uh, electorate decided they're going a different direction. They don't want me and I respect that. (laughs) What? Trump would never say that it will be the fake news media conspiring with rhinos and the Republican establishment and the judicial system, which has been weaponized. They all made me a victim and they pushed me out of the campaign or whatever. That's the way it's going to be as Trump descends further into madness. What exactly happened to Bill Maher is a question that many of you have been writing to me and asking because he has made some increasingly strange comments lately that don't really seem to fit with the perception of Bill Maher. But I actually am going to show you today um, a transcript from an interview I remember watching that Bill Maher did 18 years ago. And I am going to argue that Bill Maher hasn't really changed. He's just sort of shifted his focus and shifted what he talks about. But it's the same Bill Maher today that it was in the past. So first and foremost, Bill Maher recently appeared uh, with Fran Lebowitz on his podcast. It was an interesting conversation, but I disagree with a lot of things that Bill Maher is saying increasingly. Doesn't mean I I disagree with him on everything, but increasingly he's saying things that don't really make a lot of sense. Here he was sort of glamorizing Ron DeSantis. Take a listen to this. I mean, compared to Trump, he doesn't have a giant ass. He has hair. You know, he's got uh, I mean, compared to Trump, he has policies, which Trump doesn't have. And the policies are really horrible. <laughs> well, know. he does a lot of performative art. Yes. Some when, of it is, is a reaction to policies that were insane to begin with. Ah, like the don't say gay. Sure. Ron DeSantis does some performative stuff, but it's because the left forced him to. Bill, first of all, it doesn't say that in it. Doesn't say don't say gay. Um, parents were not. Uh, look, he does a lot of stupid things. I agree. He campaigned for election deniers. That's a big red flag with me. Yeah. But. Parents were not unreasonably concerned that schools had become a place where kids were being exposed to ideas about gender and race that were completely inappropriate for someone three years old. You're making my case for me. They may have been. However, I don't think I think he does these things to distract from his real policies, which are let's stop Social Security, cut Medicare. You know, those are the real things. Look, and especially in Florida, no, where ninety percent of the people are already on Social Security. Right. Uh, You're saying he's for yes. maybe maybe okay. the party is. Well, he, he is too. I mean, he is too. I mean, I, I'm less worried usually, about him than a. So 
you know, kind of glamorizing Ron DeSantis. And sure, he does some crazy stuff, but a lot of it is because he's being forced into doing it by the woke left or whatever the case may be. And then he goes into uh, the topic of covid and covid rules all turned out to be stupid. Maybe this maybe this makes people understand why some of us who called out a lot of the uh, nonsense with how we handled covid were so skeptical because we've done stupid health theater for a long time. It's not new. We've handled almost every health crisis badly, not all of them. Um, And, you know, I found it just arrogant to have such a bad record in the past with health matters. Now, some of what Bill Maher is saying here isn't wrong. The U.S. has a bad record of handling health emergencies. There was a lot of uncertainty and communication problems and all of these different things. The problem is that Bill Maher presents it all in a way that opens the door to the science deniers and the um, anti-vaxxers and all of it. And he is being used in that way. Just tell me, just do what we say. When have we ever been wrong? And then it's like, oh, OK, we're washing the mail. And they told us, you know, like, wear any kind of mask. They're all good. Just some bandana. Put a diaper on your head. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Everything's fine. And I remember (laughs) um, Don't Touch Your Face was about a big hit song for about a year. Don't touch your face. I remember going to the- I'm not up on which COVID rules you were opposed to. They all turned out to be stupid. Not all. Which ones? It was not on the mail. No, oh no, that I know. They just found, they just did a study. The masks, unless they were N95 and maybe not even them, useless- um, which well, that is, I'm which unaware is, of, you know, I, I stopped wearing a mask when you don't have to wear it anymore. And you all remember it's all it's all degrees and it's well, no, the masks are increasingly less effective the lower quality they are. And we have studies and we know that. But it's exactly this type of black and white thinking, offhanded, flippant black and white thinking that opens the door to people who believe anything to say, oh, I was right. I was right. But but that's just but I. The vaccines. Good. I'm glad there were vaccines. Yes, I'm glad there were vaccines. I don't don't please. You know what? If that's your choice, great. There are some vaccines I would love to have and might need and would fight you for. But if I don't but I should be able to make my own medical decisions. Well, you are not a nurse. Okay, you're not in a hospital. You know, I think it depends who you are. You know, uh, right. well, you're saying they would have to get the back. Yes. Well, I mean, OK, but here's something stupid we did that other countries didn't do. Countries I think you would respect, by the way, countries you're going to. I'm going to do your plugs. What a great segue. But <laughs> like Europe, much more recognized natural immunity. If you're a nurse and you had it naturally at the beginning, which a lot of nurses did, then it was stupid and pointless. And Yeah, you know, it wasn't really stupid and pointless, because if you had it at the beginning, by the time that the vaccines were out, we started to see an evolution to different variants. And as we know, four or five months after that, the vaccine's effectiveness when it came to preventing infection was dramatically lower. So your immunity uh, 15 months later to a variant that is not even actually the variant that's out there anymore isn't going to be particularly useful. So anyway, the point here is I don't I'm not saying Bill Maher is a bad guy and I'm not saying he's wrong about everything, but he has had this streak, particularly on medical stuff for a very long time. Let me present to you an exhibit. OK, I remember watching this interview and I went and searched for a clip. I couldn't find a clip, but I found a transcript 18 years ago in 2005. Bill Maher was interviewed by Larry King and He claims that the flu shot makes Alzheimer's more likely and says aspirin is bad. Now, you might say, David, that's Bill Maher would never say that. Let's put up the transcript on the screen. Bill Maher says, 
Well, I hate to tell you, Larry, but if you have a flu shot for more than five years in a row, there's 10 times the likelihood that you'll get Alzheimer's disease. I would stop getting your and King says, what did you say? And Mars says that went better than in rehearsal, but it was still good. Absolutely. No, the defense against this against disease is to have a strong immune system. A flu shot compromises your immune system. Now, this has been studied. The flu shot reduces the risk for for Alzheimer's among those age 65 plus. This has been studied. This, it's, it's not even something Bill Maher brought up that hadn't been studying. Said it has been studied. We know that that is not true. OK, this was Bill Maher 18 years ago. And then Larry King says, so you don't take any Western medicine, don't take an aspirin. And Bill Maher says, never an aspirin. No, thousands of people die from aspirin every year. And King says, how do you treat illness? And Bill Maher says, I promise you, if you get a headache, the reason for the headache is not aspirin deficiency, which I remember being 20 and watching this and saying, Bill Maher can't be this stupid, right? Imagine applying that idea. Listen, the reason you have cancer is not a chemo deficiency. So why would you give someone chemo? Well, because that's not how medication works. Medication is not about giving you something you were deficient in. Medications work in a lot of different ways from monoclonal antibodies to uh, uh, antibiotics. So it's 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 not about it. I lack aspirin. My headache is caused by a lack of aspirin. So I will cure the headache by taking aspirin. The idea that that's Bill Maher's train of thought is very disturbing because it's so stupid. And then um, Bill Maher, uh, Larry King says, no, of course not. Bill Maher says, right. So you're taking and King says something to take the pain away. Why is that bad? And Bill Maher says, but why don't you find out the real root of that pain? And Larry King says, well, while you're finding, take the aspirin, which is actually a pretty funny line from Larry King. So the point here is Bill Maher's had this streak for a very long time. It's not actually new. Covid made it more of a focus for him. And I think that's where we are today. I have a voicemail number you can call anytime. Two one nine two David P. Here is a caller who is again confused about whether or not I am a socialist. Listen to this. Did you just misspeak? I thought I just heard you say that you are a social Democrat. Right. Don't you mean to say you are a democratic socialist? No. Would that be more accurate? No, no, I didn't misspeak, sir. I am not a democratic socialist. Democratic socialism is a form of socialism. I am a social Democrat which is a well-regulated form of capitalism. I did not misspeak. I am not a socialist. Some on the right and even some on the left think I am a socialist, but I'm not. I'm not criticizing socialism in this segment. I'm just saying I'm not socialist. It's sort of like if you say, David, didn't you say you were black? And I would go, no, I didn't say I was black. I'm not black. Oh, so you don't like black people? No, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. I happen not to be black. That's all I'm saying. OK, I'm not a socialist, please. Um, OK, we have a great bonus show for you today. We are going to talk about the apoplectic reaction to Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. We are going to talk about lawmakers or as Donald Trump once called them, law markers, focusing in on chat GPT in the uh, in this growing popularity for the tool. And we are going to talk about a bill from Bernie Sanders to boost Social Security benefits, not cut, but rather boost. All of those stories and more are on the bonus show. Thank your lucky stars every day. You're not Dave Packman. Well, I get to host the bonus show, Alex. So that's an exciting thing. 
Sign up at joinpacklin.com. I will see you then.